And what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. And today, folks, there is a lot to get to today. Celtics, Bruins, uh, some revolutions, some Patriots, and uh, college basketball, too. So um, looking forward to today's episode. As always, you can uh, listen on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts, and you can uh, like and follow our uh, socials on Twitter and on Facebook. I would like to say uh, thank you to uh, Matt Plew for coming on the uh, coming on Guest Friday last week. That was uh, definitely a lot of fun. Hopefully, uh, you folks enjoyed the conversation. Um, you know, always fun to uh, reunite with uh, someone that that I was very familiar with. You know, working with back at Springfield. So uh, that was really really fun. Looking forward to um, hearing from Matt more in the future, perhaps. Um, after the tournament has played, but uh, yeah, really great conversation, and hopefully you guys enjoyed that as well. So without further ado, we'll we'll get going on uh, today's episode, and there's plenty of stuff, and there's plenty of good stuff to talk about, which is, you know, always nice. I think that, you know, certainly for, you know, the two teams playing right now, you know, really in the middle, in the midst of their, of their schedule, you know, it's nice when you have weeks like this, where you feel like there's a lot of positivity and a lot of things that you can feel good about. And I know, you know, obviously it's easy to be positive. It is easier to be more positive when the teams are winning and the teams are doing well. Um, You know, I think it's just a coincidence that, you know, both these teams are, are playing well at times that I think are really key for, for both of the teams. So we'll get started with the Celtics and uh, really what a what a week it was last week. You know, we highlighted uh, last week that it was going to be a huge week, you know, coming in with three teams with, you know, elite talent at certain positions. And games that I think were were big to determine whether the Celtics really are you know, a legitimate team, you know, a legitimate contender. And, you know, how would they fare against some of these teams with really good talent? Now, the Atlanta Hawks, I don't think, are an elite team. I think that that's pretty obvious based on the way that they played this year. But the Celtics played really well in that game. Um, You know, coming back from a 14-point deficit, um, holding the Hawks to 33 points in the second half. It really was a tremendous second-half effort. Um, for this team that kind of, you know, seemed like they were not playing great def- great defense in the first half. Um, but obviously that picked up, and then the Celtics, you know, got really their first kind of signature win of the season, um, in my opinion, Thursday night against Memphis. You know, John Morant is John Morant, and, you know, you've seen him do some unbelievable things this year. Um, but the Celtics really did a good job, really kind of, limiting what the other guys could do around John Morant. You know, I think that it's pretty clear that John Morant's going to be unbelievable pretty much every time he suits up. But I think the key for a team like that is what can you do to hold the other guys? And I think the Celtics did a good job at that and, you know, really were able to ride Jason Tatum and be able to to ride Al Horford, who was great in that game. You know, that was really 
a turn back the clock type of performance um, from Al, and we've seen him play a lot better recently. You know, he's knocking down threes at a really good clip. He's playing good defense as he has, you know, all season. Um, but I think you really saw a culmination of how how well he's played this season with that game, 21 points and 15 rebounds now. Probably, he probably won't do that again this season, but it just goes to show you that, you know, a lot of people thought Al was was done when he was on the, the, the Thunder. And the Celtics bring him in and, you know, trading Kemba Walker for Al Horford has turned out to be, you know, one of the best moves the Celtics have made in a very long time. So he's been excellent. Um, but obviously the story yesterday uh, was Jason Tatum. Um, and I think it's the development in his game in every single facet is so impressive to me. Obviously, we know what he can do scoring the basketball. You know, I think his ability to score is, you know, on par with some of the best players in the league right now. You know, top 10, top 5 ability. You know, his his bag of tricks is, is full. And I think you saw him put everything on display yesterday. I think in a game where you're coming into a game where you're playing against two superstar talents. You're playing against two of the best players in the league. And he, you know, was better than both of them. You know, he showed out yesterday and I think, you know, put himself firmly in the debate for MVP. And I know that obviously this is a Boston-based podcast and I'm going to sound really biased, but I think you've seen such a tremendous change in his game over the last year that I think is really impressive. You know, the growth that you have seen, you know, Again, we all know what he can do scoring the basketball, but the way that he's been able to become a really solid rebounder and a guy that can get other guys involved, that he's making the right play. You know, that was one of the things that Ime Odoka said, I think, during one of those breaks. Maybe it was the interview before the fourth quarter. You know, he's talking about he's making the right plays. And I think that you saw you saw a play in the fourth quarter last night where... You know, Jason gets the ball, he's doubled, and then immediately is a quick pass to Tice, tries to dunk it, obviously, he gets fouled and misses, but that's the improvement in his game that I think two years ago, you would see him get a double team and he would try to do too much. You know, turn the ball over, try to draw a foul, and, you know, wouldn't be looking to get other guys involved. And I think that's the difference that you have seen. And now I think he only had three assists yesterday. Um, looking at the box score, but he made the right play, you know, made the right play on Jalen Brown's, you know, three that kind of, you know, put the game away. And I think that, you know, it was a play that you can see both Jason and Marcus, you know, buying into this is the type of team that we're going to be. We're going to make the extra pass. You know, we're going to make plays for other guys. And it just is, it's great to see. You know, it's great to see that, you know, the Celtics are finally seem to have bought into Coach Udoka and are playing the brand of basketball that we all expect from a Celtics team like this. You know, I think even when this Celtics team had superstars, you know, in the past, you know, you think about Pierce Garnett and Ray Allen, they were always making the right play and they were always doing things for the betterment of the team. And that's what you saw yesterday. And I think that Jason's ability to take over a game is unbelievable. His ability to take over a game 
in which Kevin Durant was also playing in this game, in which Kyrie Irving was also playing in this game. You know, that's an MVP performance right there. He had 54 points, you know, 16 of 30 from the field, eight three-pointers, 14 for 17 from the free-throw line. I mean, it's a tour de force performance. And I think the biggest thing with Jason is he's being a lot more efficient with his shots. Sure, 15 attempted three-pointers is probably not the most efficient way to score, but obviously he made eight of them, so he was efficient in making them, you know, getting to the free-throw line, attacking the basket. Um, just doing so many so many different things where it's like there are so many ways that he can score. There are so many ways that he can put his fingerprints all over a game, and I think that to me is why he should be considered as a league MVP. You know, maybe he doesn't win it. You know, I don't think that that's the point. But I think that he should be talked about as, you know, a player who has elevated his team, has elevated their level of play. Now, I know there's probably, you know, a lot of praise that should be, you know, geared towards um, Coach Udoka because I think that he deserves a lot of credit. But I think Jason deserves a lot of credit. And I think being able to recognize that he's not too big for, you know, a coach coming in and saying, this is the way that we're going to do things. And he has the ability to say, okay, you know, I'm going to try to improve my game. And now you're seeing almost a complete product of a bona fide superstar and a guy who could carry this team to, you know, in a place where I think two months ago, I didn't think people thought that that was, that this could be possible. So, um, Jason was unbelievable. And I think that he deserves a lot of credit, um, and I think does definitely deserve some national recognition for the performance and the performance that he's had the last couple of weeks um, that I think he firmly deserves to be talked about in terms of, you know, league MVP when you're talking about Embiid or Giannis or, you know, John Moran or whoever, you know, is considered a front runner for MVP. Jason Tatum should be in that conversation. Um one of the other things, you know, that I've been noticing recently, and I think a lot of people have, um, is how well Marcus Smart has played. And I think, you know, you talk about Tatum and his ability to, you know, try to get other guys involved. Marcus Smart, I think, has also been at the forefront of that particular style of play. And I think that there have been concerns with him. There always have been for, you know, what is his ability to play make? You know, is it really something that he can tap into and obviously the answer is yes the way that he's been playing the last couple of games 12 assists on thursday nine assists yesterday um, and i just think that he is embracing the role of being a guy that just kind of ties everything together sure is he or is he a sure he's not a you know prototypical point guard he's not a typical guy that you would think of when you think of a, a ball distributor but you know, he deserves a lot of credit for the way that he has played and the way that he has kind of changed his game and gone away from the, you know, taking a lot of, you know, contested threes and looking to get other guys involved, attacking the basket. Um, and I just think he was also outstanding yesterday. You know, only had 14 points, but had nine assists, you know, two for five from three, you know, was involved in a lot of, you know, big plays. And I think... You know, not only are you seeing him involved in the 
you know, big plays or winning plays, as people, you know, like to refer to it as. But you're seeing his effect be seen on, you know, in the box score. You know, that he is affecting the game and is playing the game at, you know, such a, such a high level that I think we've not seen him play like this before. You know, obviously we see him play hard and dive on the floor for loose balls, you know, that type of energy. But I think his ability to change the way that he has played and going from, you know, someone that makes a lot of ill, ill, ill-fated mistakes, you know, shooting too many threes or whatever it is. But I think you've seen a development in his game that he is willing to be like, okay, I can change. I can change the way that I can play so that it benefits our team. And it's benefited the team unbelievably well in, in recent weeks. And I think, you know, the two of him and Jason Tatum, I really think are the key to whether the Celtics can make a deep run. You know, is this type of play sustainable? Can they make a run? You know, can they upset a top team? You know, can they go to the NBA Finals? It's really going to be decided for me between Jason or, you know, between Jason Tatum and, and Marcus Smart. It's really going to be these two guys, and I think that they are the most important players on this team, and it was reflected in the game yesterday. So really a tremendous win for the Celtics. You know, it's uh, one of those games where the crowd was involved the whole game. You know, Kyrie Irving knows knows uh, what that means. So, you know, I think it's starting to, the Garden is starting to get that feel of this is a building that, you know, teams are going to be concerned about having to come play. Um, and I think the Celtics put that on full display this week with three really, really solid home wins and games in which the crowd is involved and the crowd knows, the crowd knows that this team is on a roll and they know that, you know, if they keep playing like this, I think anything is possible. Um, and playing with that home court advantage can feel like a home court advantage. It's crazy. You know, we were thinking two months ago, okay, this team is lucky if they get into the play-in. Now we're talking about they could realistically host a first-round series. They could realistically have a top three, maybe even a top two team in the Eastern Conference if they continue to play this way. So it just is amazing how quickly everything has changed. And, you know, 21 wins in 27 games, that will do it. You know, that will give you a lot of energy going forward. And I think the Celtics are a team that uh, no team in the NBA wants to play them right now, especially on the especially on the garden floor. So... Uh, just a tremendous game for the Celtics, one of those, you know, signature games. And I know the popular thing yesterday was, oh, the Nets are 500, but it's like, I'm sorry, anytime you have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant on the other side, that's a very quality win, and that's an impressive win. The Celtics are winning games now that they had been losing earlier in the season or even last season, you know, games in which... They fell apart late in games, but the Celtics are making plays and they're doing the right things. And I think that that is the most exciting part about this team is they're playing the game the right way and they're becoming a team that everyone wants to get behind. You know, a team that I think we in Boston, we can start to feel good about this team that, okay, any game this team plays, they're going to put their, they're going to put their heart out there and they're not going to you know, play down to an opponent. They're not going to, 
play scared against a really good opponent. And they, you know, Jason Tatum looked the Nets in the face and said, I am not going to back down. Um, and I think it's a lot of, a lot of special things happened yesterday that hopefully the Celtics can continue, you know, as they make this push for the playoffs and maybe even they can get a high seed in the Eastern Conference. So we get more home games at TV Garden. Um, so I think last little bit of Celtics stuff, kind of some news here. Um, the Celtics announced a signing of uh, Matt Ryan to a two-way contract. No, not that Matt Ryan. Um, um, signing this guy to a, a two-way contract. No, it's not the, the BC quarterback, Matt Ryan. It's a, a guy uh, who bounced around college basketball, played for uh, three different teams, um, originally played at Notre Dame for two seasons, um, and then transferred, played a season at Vanderbilt, and then played a season at Chatt- Chattanooga in 1920. Um, so he has been, he had signed a contract with the Nuggets in the fall, and then they waived him. Um, then he was playing in the G League, and the Celtics signed him to a two-way contract about a week ago. Um, so for those of you that may, that may know, I uh, wrote for a um, Notre Dame college sports uh, website back in the day, um, and Matt Ryan was a, a member of the Notre Dame basketball team um, one of the years that I wrote for the website, so I'm a little bit familiar with him. Um, he's a guy who's a really good knockdown shooter from three. Uh, was a career 36% shooter in college. Is um, a guy who I don't really know what their plan is for him. Um, you know, he may just be someone as just kind of depth on the bench that you can bring in to knock down some shots. I wouldn't be surprised if he plays a lot for the G League team. You know, not sure how much he'll play for the Celtics, but, you know, good size, 6'7", 215. Um, has played really well in the G League. So be curious to see if he makes any kind of impression on the Celtics um, going forward. Um, the person that I think might make an impact, the Celtics recently signed Nick Stauskas to um, a two-year contract. I think it's a similar contract uh, to what they gave Jabari Parker last year. Maybe it was two years ago. Um, so obviously Stauskas is the guy who uh, was a first-round pick in 2014, um, had been out of the league for a couple years, I believe, playing over, um, playing overseas or perhaps in the G League. Um, but he has played two games this season with the Heat, uh, played 12 minutes in those games, uh, scored 11 points in those games. So the story on him is he you know, came into the league first-round pick, played for the Sacramento Kings, and then was traded to Philadelphia played a couple seasons there, traded to Brooklyn. He's bounced around. He's played for uh, six different teams. The Celtics will be his seventh. Um, But I think a guy who can knock down some shots, you might remember him from his time at University of Michigan, um, you know, is a guy who I think can knock down some shots. Again, I'm not really sure what the Celtics plan for him is, but signing him to a contract pass this year, you know, might tell you that, okay, maybe he gets some looks. Um, on the bench if the Celtics run into injuries or foul trouble. Um, Aaron Neesmith obviously was hurt in the game against Memphis. Jalen Brown was hurt in the game against the Hawks. Jalen obviously returned yesterday, uh, but Neesmith did not play. So possibility that Stauskas could get some minutes 
um, if Aaron is out for an extended period. So I like it. You know, the Celtics, I think the buyout market ended up being a little bit of a dud. There really weren't any players that, you know, the Celtics were looking at that I think could make a difference. Um, obviously, there's a lot of conversation about Isaiah Thomas, who recently signed a 10-year, 10-day deal with the Charlotte Hornets, who the Celtics will play on Wednesday. You know, I think that certainly the Celtics could bring him back, and I think would get a lot of people excited. But I think it may not be fair to him because I don't know how many minutes legit, realistically he could get. Um, and I think the last thing the Celtics would want to do as a franchise is bring back Isaiah but not have a spot to put him in. I think, you know, that I think is the, ultimately the reason why they haven't signed him. Um, and I think that with the Celtics and the way that they're trying to play with defensive versatility, you know, Isaiah is not really a guy who is a, 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 he's not exactly a lockdown defender. You know, I'll say that, you know, certainly he's a guy that could give them some offense, but has his limitations on what he can do defensively. And I think that, you know, ultimately, from a basketball perspective, that's why the Celtics haven't brought him in. Um, and I think it just wouldn't be fair to him to make him a sideshow, so to speak. Um, so, you know, I like what the Celtics have done, bringing in a couple guys who can shoot. You know, it'll be interesting to see what they can do, um, you know, if they get any chances. So I think that probably will do it for the Celtics. We'll circle back to the NBA later in the pod. Uh, but first, we're going to get to the other uh, Boston team uh, playing at the Garden. It's careful to say it in that way, not speak ill of the revolution. But uh, the other team that is based at TD Garden, the Boston Bruins, are playing really good hockey um, and are playing really well, just about as well as the Celtics are in the uh, Patriots are the, excuse me, cheat them all over the place. Uh, the Bruins completed um, a very successful uh, West Coast road trip. Bruins going 5-1 and one on the trip. Obviously, uh, when we last were speaking with you guys, it was a week ago, and the Bruins were about to take on the LA Kings. The Bruins obviously passing that test with flying colors, with Jake DeBrusque putting, putting in a hat trick, Eric Hollis scoring a couple times. Um, and then followed that up with a tough loss against the Ducks. Uh, the next night in Anaheim, Bruins finished up, I think, a four-game and six-nights stretch with that game. So obviously, the Bruins were a little bit tired. It was a game that I felt like they may have given away a little bit. Um, but obviously, you know, it's kind of a, a bump in the road, and that ended up being, that ended up kind of, that's what it was with the Bruins coming back Thursday night with a great win against Vegas in which they really controlled the game uh, from start to finish. It was a really excellent game for the Bruins as they won 5-2. to two. And then, obviously, Saturday night, a highly emotional game. Obviously, many different storylines in that game. Rick Nash's jersey retirement, obviously, played uh, some games with the Bruins. I think 2018, 2000... I can't remember. I think it was 2018. Um but obviously played the majority of his career in Columbus. They retired his number. Obviously, Nick Foligno made his return to Columbus after being the captain for so many years. Um, and then Sean Corrali played his first game against the Bruins. So there are plenty of storylines, a lot of stuff going around. But uh, the Bruins ultimately getting the win 
in the shootout, David Pasternak, the only goal in the shootout, Jeremy Swayman was unbelievable um, in this game. I think I know that, obviously, you win 5-4. to four. You know, I think that he did not have his best game, and I probably should have rephrased that. I thought he was unbelievable in the shootout. You know, I think that the game that he had was a little, was like, you know, off and on a little bit, made some amazing saves, gave up a number of goals, um, but made the saves when it mattered. And I think that that was the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway um, that I had from him in that game. Obviously, we'll return to talking about Swayman in a little bit, but I think just a great trip. You know, the Bruins, there was definitely some concern, you know, coming into this trip, but the Bruins, I really think that that win against Colorado, the game that they had at home before they went off on the trip was huge. You know, they came in and dominated arguably the best team in the league. I actually don't know if I'd call them the best team in the league, but the Bruins were outstanding um, in that game. And then obviously had a great start to the trip, had a little bit of a hiccup, but then responded really well um, against Vegas. And then obviously got the win on Saturday. Um, But this is a team that's really starting to click. And I really think that you saw, you've seen the secondary scoring come back. Craig Smith with a hat trick a couple of nights ago. Obviously, Jake DeBrusque with a hat trick. Eric Hall has scored three goals in the last four, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it's so interesting that Bruins are, you know, getting goals from unexpected places. Uh, Felino has actually played pretty well recently after coming back into the lineup. It's kind of been an uneven year for him. But the Bruins are, are getting goals from guys that are not, you know, the typical goal scorers. Not to say that Pasternak has not been scoring some goals, uh, but I think someone like Marshan, I don't think he's scored a goal in a couple weeks, and I think you are starting to see this team play to the level that I think was expected coming out of the gate. But I think, as always, when you bring in a bunch of new faces, it takes time, and I think that that's something that a lot of Bruins fans, I don't think, wanted to hear for good portions of this season, and rightfully so. You know, the team struggled for the first couple months before the new year. Um, But I really think that you've seen a team that's become refocused and playing the way that you expect. Obviously, they've had some losses. They've had some stretches of bad play. But for the most part, they've been really good and been able to have that secondary scoring, which is so important this time of year and then going into the playoffs. So really hope that that keeps up. You know, I think with the trade deadline approaching, it'll be curious to see how the Bruins approach that. I do have some more thoughts on that later, but just an excellent road trip. And, you know, again, as I said, when they began this road trip that, you know, the Bruins had a really good trip in 2011, um, had a very good Western Canada trip. Obviously they didn't go to Western Canada. They went to the West coast, but I had a feeling of that type of trip where the Bruins really seemed to kind of catch their stride. And that kind of I think was the turning point in that season, if I'm not mistaken, where the Bruins did really well on that trip and then just kind of continued to roll with the momentum. And similar things are happening right now. You know, the Bruins are making the, the Atlantic division a lot more interesting than it was even a couple weeks ago. The Bruins are only two points back of, uh, of Toronto at the moment. So we'll take a look at the standings later in the pod. But I think, you know, things are... <laughs> Things are starting to get a little a little interesting for, for Toronto right now as the Bruins are coming coming up behind them very quickly. So, you know, it's just is a, it's great to see the Bruins 
you know, playing, playing at this level and being able to get good, consistent play from a number of different guys in the lineup um, and being able to see that reflected on the score sheet. Um, you know, like I said last week, Jake DeBrusque is a guy who I think has had its moments in terms of playing really well, but not having the results to show. And now he's getting those results, I think has a lot to do with playing with Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marsh. And I think that, you know, the way that the two of them play is exactly the way that you want to play as an NHL player. And I know that, yeah, Marshan's got his issues. We all know that. But I think just the way that the two of them approach the game and how detail-oriented they are. And I think putting someone like Jake DeBrusque with them has been such a perfect fit um, and such a, th- a, such a way that it's such a great fit. Because I think Jake sees the way that the two of them prepare and you know focus on the game and I think that it's been really good for him I know a lot of the reason for why he's on the number one line is you know how well that third unit has been with Craig Smith Frederick and Charlie Coyle Um, but I think that you know finding a group that you like is really important and Eric Hall has been really good as that second line center at the moment you know is he a long-term fit at that spot you know probably not but it's been excellent to see him kind of elevate his play and, you know, be more of a legitimate player on that line and less of, you know, he's just there playing between two really good players. I think that he has now become a player that it's like, okay, he's starting to figure things out. And, you know, I think I had seen something in the Globe a couple days ago um, in which Bruce Cassidy, I guess, had reached out to... Um, Predators coach John Hines, who Hall had played for last season, um, and he had mentioned to him that, you know, Eric's a guy who gets better as the season goes on, and clearly, you know, we've seen that. So hopefully that continues um, with Hall, but I think you're seeing line groupings that are really, really working. Um, So I think going back to Jeremy Swayman um, and how amazing he has been recently, you know, winning Rookie of the Month, in February, and, you know, I think picking up where he left off um, in March, eh, to to an extent, you know, I don't think statistically he's been as good, but clearly was huge in the shootout on Saturday, and just a guy that doesn't blink when the pressure gets, you know, really high, you know, and I think Obviously, a shootout in in March against a team that's not going to the playoffs in the grand scheme of things probably isn't going to mean much. But the way that he plays and the way that he battles and the way that he, you know, doesn't let things affect him as much as maybe other goalies could or other players might. He's a guy that's just so focused. Um, And I think that it's clear that the Bruins have found, you know, their goalie of the future, so to speak. You know, I think the big test is going to come in the playoffs to see how he really does against these elite teams. Um, so I'm going to be curious to see how he does the rest of the regular season against teams that are really good. You know, might get an opportunity tonight against the Kings, um, who are definitely going to be looking for some revenge tonight um, after getting blown out 7 nothing in the last, last meeting a week ago. Um, but I think that will be interesting for me to see how does he do against these elite teams down the stretch um, and into the playoffs. Um, But I will say, 
And I know people probably are going to be shocked for me to hear this, but Jeremy Swayman could absolutely be the key to a deep playoff run if that happens. You know, if that's in the cards for the Bruins, I think that he's a guy that could be one of the number one reasons for that. You know, you've seen the way that he has played. You've seen the unbelievable saves that he's made. You've seen the way that he has played in tr- through tremendous pressure. You know, and I think obviously we hope that that continues. Um, and if it does, I think he's a guy that, you know, the Bruins could be in a position where they have a hot goaltender and it carries them to a spot that I think maybe people wouldn't have thought of, you know, and I think there is precedent for, you know, a rookie goaltender to have amazing postseasons and, you know, lead to Stanley Cup championships. It's really not that crazy. You know, when you think about recent years, you've thought about, I know that this is going to, this is going to suck for Bruins fans, but Jordan Bennington had a really good postseason in 2019. It was really one of the reasons why the Blues, you know, even climbed out of where they were at the midpoint of that season and then winning the Cup. You think about Matt Murray, you know, winning two consecutive Stanley Cups in his first two years with the Penguins. You could even go back to someone like Cam Ward, who won in 2006 with Carolina as a rookie. So I'm not going to say that, oh, you know, the Bruins are going to win a Stanley Cup because they have a rookie goaltender, but it's not crazy to think that the Bruins could get a hot goaltender and get some good scoring, play some good defense, and they could get to a Stanley Cup final. You know, I know that that is probably too much to put on Jeremy Swayman, but he's really passed a lot of tests and I think has proven that he's going to remain focused and play well. You know, that was obvious when the Bruins sent him down to Providence that I think he was someone who took that in a professional way and was like, okay, you know, you'll send me down, that's fine, but I still want the net. And he has certainly played like that in the last seven or eight games. It's been unbelievable. So I think if the Bruins are going to make a deep run and can they play this type of can they play this type of hockey, he could be a big reason why maybe they get past a team like Tampa Bay. You know, that's easier said than done because Tampa Bay has an all-world goaltender in Andre Vasilevsky, but you know, the Bruins could be in a position where their uh, their goalie makes the difference, and we've seen that happen once or twice uh, with both Tim Thomas and Tuka Rask. Um, so I think just to finish up on the Bruins, I do have some thoughts about the trade deadline, and I think it has a lot to do with how they played recently, and does that change the way the Bruins are going to approach the deadline? Um, and I think there's two things. The first and obvious one is Jake DeBrusque. How do the Bruins handle his hot streak? You know, what do you see from him in the next few weeks? Does he continue to play like this? Does his play level off, um, you know, with the trade deadline fast approaching? It's two weeks from today. Um, You know, how does Don Sweeney approach this? You know, I think, as I said last week, there are probably a couple different ways that you can approach this. You can trade him now and try to take advantage of his extremely high value. Do you wait and trade him in the summer when, you know, maybe he has, you know, a better run through for an extended period of time and maybe into the playoffs that maybe you could take advantage of a situation at or around the draft that a team could take him, um, you know, or does, 
he just kind of stay on this team and the Bruins don't move him. I feel like that third option is probably not going to happen, and it's extremely unlikely because the trade request still is a trade request. You know, he hasn't rescinded it. So, you know, I think it it's very interesting because it really can depend on a lot of different things. You know, do the Bruins think that, okay, we can use this guy and he's playing highly motivated hockey and we can use him in the playoffs? You know, he could be a guy who makes a difference because we know that he can play well in the playoffs. He's a known commodity. The Bruins know his game. And I think, you know, he kind of gives them a winger, if you will, that I think the Bruins could be in the market for. You know, could the Bruins use Jake as kind of their trade deadline acquisition, I guess, in a way, you know, as like a rental where if the Bruins are intending to move on from him at some point, you know, they can just use him now and hope that he's going to remain highly motivated because it seems like he's certainly playing that way right now. But then there's also the thought of you could trade him now and you could, you know, deal him in a package for a top four defense, a top four defense guy. You know, do you include him in a package for a number two center? And then that kind of brings us to the second thing that maybe may have may have changed is Eric Halla and how well he's played at that second line with Taylor Hall and David Pasternak and you know, do you still want to make a trade for a bona fide number two center? You know, is now the right time to do this? You know, to try to find a replacement, so to speak, for David Krejci. And I think that there are there there are two ways that you can approach this. You can approach it as, hey, we like what Eric Halla has done. We don't see the need that we have to go out and acquire a an elite number two center like a Tom, Tomas Hurdle, like a JT Miller. Um, someone that's going to probably cost a whole lot, you know, or do the Bruins think, you know, we're, or no, going along with that same train of thought in terms of maybe they don't need a second line center. Do they look at improving the defense? Um, And so I think they could go that route or they could think, okay, you know, Eric Halla has played well recently, but we need someone who we can count on in, at all times because Hall obviously has not been an elite, not been an outstanding player all season. You know, it's only recently that this has happened. And do the Bruins think that that's a flash in the pan? Do they try to go out and improve, you know, at that second line center spot? So I think there's a lot of things that are connected in a way, you know, do you take advantage of Jake's value? And do you think that you, you want to acquire a, Bonafide number two center, or do you want to bring in a top four lefty, someone like Jacob Chikrin? You know, I think that both of those things are definitely intertwined. And I think that that, the way that the team is playing, does that change anything? You know, I think we don't really know the answer. I mean, Don Sweeney probably knows the answer, but I think that the way that both of those guys have played Hall and DeBrusque, it maybe does change the thinking for the Bruins. I mean, I think personally, from my perspective, I think that I've liked what I've seen from Eric Halla, but I think the Bruins do need more at that second-line center spot. Now, do the Bruins need to go out and get Hurdle or J.T. Miller? I don't think necessarily. I think personally I would love to bring in J.T. Miller, but I think the Bruins could do something in a way that, you know, Halla can still remain in the lineup, but you get someone else who, you know, may not be a big-time talent, but... Maybe someone like Andrew Kopp, you know, maybe someone who 
their value may not be as high as someone like JT Miller, where you almost would have to include DeBrusque a first-round pick and a couple of young guys, whether that's prospects or Jack Stadnika or Vakaninen. I think, you know, looking at that number two center spot, do the Bruins feel like they could just improve incrementally and not have to go out and get, you know, a big fish, so to speak? I do think that the Bruins do need to make a big move. And that doesn't mean that they have to do anything crazy, but I think that you have to make a big move somewhere. You have to make a move somewhere that vastly improves, you know, your decor or your second line center spot. I think you have to do something that's going to be big, something that's going to be risky. Because I think that based on the way that this team has played, if they can continue that and add a little bit more, this is a team that realistically could get to an Eastern Conference final or a Stanley Cup final. And I think that the opportunity is there. The opportunity is there for, you know, Don Sweeney to swing big and make a big trade. You know, does that mean going to Arizona and trying to bring in Jacob Chikrin and maybe including Phil Kessel at, you know, half his salary? Do the Bruins try to do something like that? You know, do they go to Vancouver and try to take advantage of Jake DeBrusque's value and the thought that he probably wants to play close to home? You know, could you put in a first-round pick, Jake DeBrusque and a couple of other young guys, could you get that from Vancouver? You know, who knows? I think there's still a lot of time that can, or there, things can change very quickly. I think that that will be interesting to see how the Bruins approach it. But obviously, as we get closer, we'll keep you guys updated. Um, Obviously, the deadline is two weeks from today, so... Undoubtedly, there'll be a lot of trade stuff in two weeks, so I think I look forward to that. Um, But I think that that probably does it for the Bruins. We'll circle back to the NHL in a little bit. And uh, yes, we're going to talk about the other uh, Boston team, New England team, whatever whatever you want to say, that is currently in season. No, the Patriots are not playing football games yet. Uh, The Revolution, however, are playing playing soccer matches. Uh, The Revs had their home opener on Saturday afternoon against FC Dallas. And uh, thank goodness that that was a 1.30 start because it probably would have been ice cold uh, that night. So uh, the Revs come away with the win, 1-0. Uh, Carlos Hill with the only goal in the game, a penalty kick right before halftime. So the Revs get the win, win their home opener after, after playing to a draw last weekend in Portland. Um, unfortunately, it was a game that I was unable to watch as I was... Um, attending a uh, college hockey game of a certain uh, person that has been on the pod before, uh, Sean Montgomery. So that was fun. But obviously I was unable to watch the uh, Revs game in Portland, but I was able to watch the game Saturday afternoon. Um, A good solid win for the Revs. I think that, you know, in the second half, they finally kind of found a little more of an offensive footing. They didn't score, obviously, but I thought it was a good, solid game, you know, a good game that I think the fans could feel good about. You know, Bruce Arena obviously can feel good about because he broke the uh, MLS wins record as a coach. Um, So obviously that was really special. Um, But I think that, you know, it's it's funny because 
you know, for so many years for this Revolution team, it was always, can this team get to the playoffs? And now it's like the Revs know that they can get to the playoffs. And now the biggest thing is, do you have enough to win a championship? And it's just wild to think that we're in that mode, second game of the season, where it's like the Revs are going to be a good team this year and are going to win a majority of their games. But the difference with this team is going to come in the playoffs. And, you know, how do you really judge this team's success, you know, if you don't win? You know, and obviously that was how it went last year with the Revs a record-setting regular season, but then losing their first playoff game. So, you know, it's nice that the Revolution can win some games, but you're really not going to know whether this team really is for real until they play in the playoffs in October or whenever whenever that's going to be. Um, but it was a good win. You know, I think that uh, you're seeing a group that I think is going to go through some adjustment period. Uh, with Sebastian Legette, you know, playing with the elite goal scorers and offensive players that the Revolution have with Carlos Hill, obviously the reigning MVP, Gustavo Bo and Adam Buxa. You know, how does he how does he fit into that offense? And I think you're gonna see a lot of that through the next couple matches. You know, how does he how does he fit into what they're trying to do? And I think it gives them another attacking midfielder and a guy who is a really good player. Um, but how does that how does that work? Um, very curious to see how that works and you know how do the Revolution deal with you know bringing in someone like Omar Gonzalez? You know how does that how does that work defensively? Um, obviously Henry Kessler has been dealing with some injuries. Had to leave the match in the second half, uh, or maybe it was right before halftime. On Saturday, Omar Gonzalez came in, but you know how do the how do the Revolution, you know, fix deal with kind of the new additions and you know new guys that are going to be you know key for this team going forward, um, and specifically in the second half of the year, um, you know, talking about Earl Edwards who has played pretty good for the Revs the first two matches um, in goal, but obviously the job will most likely be his once Matt Turner leaves for for arsenal um in june but i think that he's he's shown an ability to be a quality starter you know i think he's not matt turner we all know what matt can do um but i think if the revolution can you know play good solid defense and clean things up um it almost to a point doesn't matter who the goalie is you know if the revolution can play good enough defensively and you know earl can come up with some timely saves the Revolution can still be a really good team. And I think that even if they're losing a legit star goalkeeper in Matt Turner, they can still be a very good team. Um, so I'm very curious to see how the Revolution deal with who's in goal. You know, once Matt Turner leaves, obviously I believe that Brad Knighton is dealing with a concussion at the moment, but it'll be interesting to see how do the Revs divvy up the net, you know, at that point in the summer when Turner does go and how do they handle that. Uh, Matt Turner, I think, currently is dealing with an injury, so that's why he has not played the last two games. Unclear about when he'll return. Uh, Revolution have a busy month because they are in the CONCACAF Champions League, I believe, reward for their uh, record-setting season last year with the most points. Uh, so they'll play Pumas on Wednesday at 8 o'clock, and then they will travel there. I believe that they're a team in the Mexican League 
and then they will so they will travel there on March 16th. So the Revolution two Concacaf Champions League matches, uh, two MLS matches. Their next match is home against Real Salt Lake, 7:30 next Saturday. And then the Revolution will travel to Charlotte FC to play to play them at seven o'clock on Saturday, March nineteenth. Um, but obviously, if the Revolution are to advance in the Concacaf Champions League, obviously there are more games that could be played. So curious to see how the Revolution approach those games. You know, do they use a similar lineup? You know, is it kind of team based? Do the Revolution do something different? with the team that they're playing, whether it's Pumas or an MLS team. Um, curious to see how uh, Jet plays, you know, in those games. How did the Revolution use those games in a positive way to, you know, not only play to win, but how do they use those games as a way to kind of get guys, you know, into the swing of things. And I think specifically Legette and um, Omar Gonzalez and Josie Altador too, who made an appearance um, in the second half, curious to see what the Revs see from him this year. I mean, I think that you'll see a lot of similar things to Teal Bunbury, you know, kind of a guy that the Revs bring on late in the second half to try to, you know, give them some offense. Obviously, they're different players. You know, Josie obviously is a lot more of a physical guy and I think gives the Revs a guy that can, you know, score close to the net and, you know, be able to play physically. And I think really give them another player that they can look to for some offense. Um, so I'm curious to see how he does this season. Uh, curious to see how the Revolution approach these uh, CONCACAF Champions League games specifically. You know, what do they do lineup-wise? Do they do anything different? Do they get, you know, some of the young guys involved? Curious to see what that looks like. I'm actually not positive where you can watch the uh, CONCACAF Champions League, but I'm sure you can find something online so i think we will move on to talk about the patriots a couple of things to talk about there was a, a rumor that was floating around on saturday about the patriots um, inquiring into robbie anderson the wide receiver for the uh, panthers you may remember him as wide receiver for the uh, new york jets a number of years ago um you know, I think it's I think it's curious, um, but I don't think that it's necessarily anything that is imminent to happen. I think that the thought process is it may just be an inquiry, just to see, you know, or just to kind of do their due diligence. You know, I think that Nelson Aguilar it was clear that I think did not fit into the offense as well as the Patriots would have thought, and I think someone like Robbie Anderson would probably be an upgrade over him, assuming that they could do a swap. I mean, I don't know exactly, but I think it makes sense because I think he's a more consistent deep threat, has good speed, has good versatility, and I think would fit well in this offense. You know, my curiosity would be what would the Patriots have to give up? And also, would that mean anything in terms of the way they're approaching the draft. And I think there's pros and cons to this. I think the pro would be you're bringing in a guy who, you know, knows how to play at the NFL level. You really don't have to be, you know, teaching him anything necessarily. Um, it gives Mac Jones a reliable veteran receiver. You know, obviously he's not 
Devontae Adams. He's not Chris Godwin. He's not, you know, one of the elite wide receivers, but he gives you another solid receiver and a guy who, you know, knows what he's doing. And I think the con, though, would be, does that mean that the Patriots would, you know, not want to bring in a rookie wide receiver? And I think you might want to bring in a rookie wide receiver because, you know, it'll be cheaper. It'll give you an option for the future. Um, and you want to bring in someone that will help Mac Jones. And so I think it might be an either-or situation, you know, or is it something else? Do the Patriots decide that maybe they could bring in someone in a trade and they could draft someone? Be curious to see how they approach that. Um, but I think Robbie Anderson, in addition to this Patriots offense, I think I would be in favor of that move um, in theory if that does happen. Um just some thoughts from the combine. They're not exactly, not exactly Patriots thoughts, but I did think that um, you saw really good, really good speed, and really like speed from everywhere. Not just the typical wide receivers, cornerbacks. Uh, you saw some speed from uh, Jordan Davis, the massive defensive tackle from Georgia, at 342 pounds, ran a 4.78. 40 time, you know, which is ridiculous for someone his size. That's legitimately not fair from from the mouth of uh, Trenton Wright, who has been on this podcast before. Um, he played his last season in, played his last season of football at Assumption, um, from, directly from his mouth. People that big should not move that fast, and I definitely agree with that. Uh, Trent was telling me that, uh, you know, he was running that time 4.7, you know, which was I think the peak time that he thought he could he could hit at his you know athletic peak, and he told me that he was running that at 230 pounds, which is a hundred pounds less than Jordan Davis, who ran essentially the same time. So that just speaks to the crazy speed. Uh, that some of these guys had in the combine this year. It was unbelievable. Um, so I think that's a clear takeaway that there's a lot of speed. I would also say that there's a lot of depth at a lot of different positions, and I think a lot of key positions that the Patriots are looking at. I think specifically wide receiver, linebacker, and cornerback. Three areas that I think the Patriots will be looking hard into um, and I think the, the depth at wide receiver and cornerback specifically, I think are going to be very, very important. And it'll be curious to see, you know, how they approach both of those positions. Uh, linebacker obviously is key as well. Uh, but I think that it's going to be interesting to see how the Patriots approach 21, you know, and who is a riser, who's a faller, you know, who's someone that falls to 21 that you don't expect, which is probably going to happen. You know, who's someone that maybe you're thinking about that gets picked in the top 10? Because I guarantee that that is going to happen too. So it's going to be interesting to see how they approach it. What do they feel is the biggest need? You know, I think the three positions I just highlighted are your biggest needs. But what do they think is the biggest one? And I think going into our next topic, talking about J.C. Jackson, it could influence how the Patriots assess the first round and do they go cornerback. Um because I got to tell you, it doesn't really feel like J.C. Jackson will return. You know, I don't think that the Patriots are a team that are going to franchise tag him. It doesn't seem like that at the moment. And I think 
it's pretty clear that it seems like he's going to test the open market. And that's not to say that he definitely won't return. And because you've seen that in recent years where a couple of Patriot players have tested the market, David Andrews in particular last year, but then he returned to the Patriots. But I think JC is going to be a guy that's going to get as much money as he can. And I think that probably doesn't bode well for the Patriots. So, you know, in response to that, do the Patriots prioritize that cornerback position? Do they bring in someone in the first round, like an Andrew Booth, like a Sauce, like a Sauce Gardner, um, like someone like Roger McCreary? You know, do they prioritize that position and do they try to take advantage of one of those elite guys that are going to be there? Um, obviously, you have Jonathan Jones returning this year, which will be huge. Um, but I'm curious to see how the Patriots approach um, free agency. I think as it gets closer, you know, we're a couple, we're maybe about 10 days from it. So going to be curious to see how they approach free agency and the draft, you know, when it comes, you know, do the Patriots address some of those positions of need at free agency? And so does it make you feel better about, you know, approaching something at the, uh, the draft? So I think that probably is, is it for the Patriots, not a whole lot of information um, to go. But obviously, as we get closer to free agency, we'll have a lot more for you. I will tell you that this week's Guest Friday will be about the Patriots and will be about free agency. So um, you will wait and hear from uh, whoever our guest is. So yeah, I'm not going to tell you who the guest is. You'll have to wait and figure that out. You'll have to wait for it. <laughs> um, so I think that's probably going to wrap it up for the New England teams. We're going to get into some uh, non-New England specific stuff. Uh, you may have uh, listened to last week's Guest Friday with uh, Matt Plew, in which we were talking about college basketball. So we will take a look at the top 25 currently, and then we'll take a look at some conference tournaments. I believe that uh, there were some women's conference tournaments that had wrapped up this week. Uh, Kentucky shocking number one ranked South Carolina. So yes, March has begun and it's going to be crazy. So uh, the men's top 25, we'll take a look at the final regular season poll for most of these teams. Some of these teams have played and completed their conference tournaments. We'll get to that in a minute. But at the top, it's the same. The top three, Gonzaga, Arizona, and Baylor. Um, Auburn jumping into that four spot thanks to uh, the win in their final regular season game, which gave them the SEC regular season title. So they will be the top seed in the SEC tournament. And then Duke, uh, shockingly, losing Coach K's final regular season game at Cameron Indoor. Um, so they fell to number seven with the loss. Uh, Villanova and Tennessee jumped into the top 10 uh, thanks to their wins. UCLA jumped to 13 thanks to their win over USC. Um, Illinois jumped to 16. I think they clinched a share of the Big Ten title, so they're at 16. Uh, Murray State at 19 after winning the Ohio Valley Conference. Their ticket to March has been bunched. Um, and then Colorado State into the top 25. And UNC, thanks to that big win over Duke, they are now in the top 25. Um, so as you mentioned, Duke fell, Houston fell, USC fell after their loss. So now we'll take a look at some of the conference tournaments. The West Coast Conference, I believe, with uh, the tournament with Gonzaga and St. Mary's, that gets underway tonight. 
on ESPN and ESPN2, Gonzaga playing San Francisco at 9, and then St. Mary's playing at 11.30. So we'll take a look at some of the key conference tournaments. Probably just going to take a look at the you know, major ones. Uh, but before we do that, Murray State is into the tournament after their victory in the Ohio Valley Conference. Uh, the Longwood Lancers winning the Big South title with a big win over Winthrop. It's their first appearance in the NCAA tournament. And uh, would you look at that, the Loyola Chicago Ramblers into the tournament for the second straight year. Matt and I talked about this team um, and the great run that they've been on in the last few years. So they are into the tournament after winning the Missouri Valley Conference with the win over Duke, or Drake, excuse me. So we'll take a look at some of the big conference brackets. Um, America East, I think Matt and I had talked about it. Um, that is, I think, currently going on at the moment. Let's see if I can take a look at the schedule really quick. Probably will take me a second. <laughs> so the semifinals are happening on Wednesday. Uh, Binghamton travels to Vermont, and then Hartford travels to UMBC. Uh, both of these teams playing on ESPN Plus on Wednesday. So that's the semifinals. Um, so some of these conference tournaments are underway or have happened already. Um, the Big 12 tournament gets underway on Wednesday with Kansas, the top seed, um, and Baylor, the second seed. So possibility that those two teams could meet in the championship. Um, that gets underway with Kansas State and West Virginia um, on Wednesday at 9 or Wednesday at 6, excuse me. Um, and then take a quick look at the Big East tournament that starts also on Wednesday. I think all these tournaments start Wednesday, except for the ACC, which starts on Tuesday. So Providence with the top seed in the Big East, Villanova the second, UConn the third. Uh, Wednesday night it gets under, or Wednesday afternoon it gets underway with Xavier and Butler at 4.30. And the championship is Saturday, March 12th on Fox. And then we will take a look at the ACC tournament. A bit of a down year for um, the ACC tournament, but I think uh, still they will get some teams into the tournament. I think Duke probably being that highest ranked team despite the loss against UNC. So we'll take a look at the ACC tournament with uh, games getting underway on Tuesday. Tuesday afternoon, Pitt and Boston College will kick off the ACC tournament. Duke, obviously the one seed, Notre Dame the second seed, and then North Carolina third, Miami fourth, and the championship is Saturday night at 8.30 on ESPN. So a couple of these conference tournaments finishing Saturday night, a couple of them finishing on Sunday afternoon, which is always kind of interesting to watch those tournaments uh, finish up around the time that the uh, bracket gets decided. Uh, the Pac-12 tournament starts on Wednesday. Good year for the Pac-12. Curious to see how this tournament goes. Um, the tournament begins Wednesday at noon with Arizona State and Stanford. 
And then the championship is 6 o'clock, Saturday, March 12th. Now we'll take a look. Take a look at the A10, or no, we'll take a look. Take a look at the SEC. SEC starts on Wednesday. Auburn, the top seed. Tennessee, second. Kentucky, third. Arkansas, fourth. It gets underway Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. Ole Miss and Missouri. And the championship is 1 o'clock on Saturday. Uh, the, it's the SEC and the Big Ten that, end, that finish on Selection Sunday. The um, American tournament starts on Thursday with a game between East Carolina and Cincinnati, Houston, the top seed in the AAC with the championship game Sunday at 3.15. So that's actually, so actually that's another championship game that will be on Sunday. And then finally, we'll take a look at the Big Ten. I'm excited for this conference tournament. I think that this will be really exciting. Uh, gets underway Wednesday at 6 o'clock, Nebraska and Northwestern. Illinois, the top seed, followed by Wisconsin, Purdue, and Rutgers. That championship game is Sunday, 3.30 in Indianapolis. Some of the locations for these tournaments, uh, I'll just go back through quickly. I believe that the SEC tournament is in Tampa Bay. The American is in Fort Worth, Texas. Pac-12 is in Vegas. ACC is in New York City. And the Big East is also in New York City, so or New York, I should say. I think Big East is at Madison Square Garden, and I think ACC is in Brooklyn. Um, and the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City, and the America East tournament is on the campus sites. So that's always interesting with the uh, smaller conferences using the tournament sites uh, for their tournaments. So I think we'll take a look at some NBA notes quickly before we let you guys go. Um, Nikola Jokic, speaking of MVP performances, had 30 points in the fourth quarter in overtime in the Nuggets win yesterday. Um, so he was huge. Kristaps um, Porzingis made his Washington Wizards debut with 25 points in a win yesterday, and the Heat are expecting uh, Victor Oladipo to return soon. Um, and Kevin Durant yesterday during the Celtics game topped 25,000 points. So plenty of games on the NBA schedule tonight at 7 o'clock. You have the Hawks traveling to Detroit to take on the Pistons. Uh, the Bulls playing the Sixers in Philly. That will be a really important game for both of those teams. 7.30, the Rockets will travel to Miami to take on the Eastern Conference leading Heat. 8 o'clock, you have Portland and Minnesota. 8.30, Utah travels to Dallas. And then the Lakers will travel to San Antonio to play the Spurs. And then 9 o'clock on NBA TV. And then, or 9 o'clock on NBA TV. Sorry, I just read something on my phone. We'll update you in a sec. Um, the Warriors and the Nuggets will play at 9 o'clock on NBA TV. And then 10.30, the Knicks and the Kings. Um, there's some breaking news coming into the podcast right now. Uh, the Patriots are cutting Kyle Van Noy. So that may come as a little bit of a surprise. I thought he had a really good year last year, um, but it may have something to do with money. So that is, looks like that is going to be happening. So, you know, tough few years for Kyle. You know, he's cut, been cut by a couple teams. 
Um, I thought he played really good football for the Patriots last year. Um, so that's tough to hear, you know, but again, it's a business and I think that, that he understands that, but obviously that is really tough. So we'll take a look at the NBA standings. Uh, the Heat, obviously first place in the East, the Bucks and the Sixers are three games back. The Sixers in second, Bucks are in third, followed by the Bulls, and then the Celtics are in fifth place in the East. And then the Cavaliers are in sixth. And then for the play-in, the Raptors are in seventh place. Hornets in eighth. Nets in ninth. And then the Hawks in tenth. With the Wizards just two games back of the uh, play-in in the Western Conference. The Suns with a huge advantage for first place. They have an eight-game lead over the Warriors. And the Grizzlies, Warriors second, Grizzlies third. Uh, Utah in fourth, followed by Dallas and Denver. And then in the play-in, you have Minnesota, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Pelicans and the Portland Trailblazers, who are a game and a half back of the Pelicans for that last play-in spot. So I think we'll move on to the NHL, take a look at some um, notes from the league. The Heritage Classic will happen on Saturday night in Hamilton, Ontario, between the uh, Maple Leafs and the Sabres. So that's always interesting to, to watch the... Um, The Ducks, the Ducks winning in overtime yesterday. There are a couple of pretty exciting games um, in the NHL yesterday. Um, had some national games that went on this weekend. Um, so we'll take a look at some games tonight. Obviously, the Bruins will be hosting the Kings tonight at 7 at the Garden. Florida will travel to Buffalo. Uh, Toronto will travel to Columbus. That game is on ESPN+. Plus. And then Colorado will travel to New York to play the Islanders. And then Edmonton will travel to Calgary tonight at 9.30. So now we'll take a look at the standings. The uh, Carolina Hurricanes lead the Eastern Conference. And uh, Colorado leads the West and leads the NHL with 85 points. The Metropolitan Carolina first, Rangers in second, and Pittsburgh in third. Both of those teams even with 77 points. Um, in the Atlantic, Tampa Bay first with 80 points, followed by Florida with 79, and then Toronto with 74. Bruins obviously with 72. Toronto does have a game in hand, uh, but the Bruins have made uh, the Atlantic division a lot more interesting as they are 7-2-1 in their last 10 games. Uh, Washington hanging on to that last wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference with Columbus 10 points back of the final wild card spot in the west obviously colorado the aforementioned um, avalanche with 85 points most in the league they lead the central st louis is in second with 71 points and then minnesota third with 67 in the pacific calgary leads the division a one and one in their last 10 so they have 73 points they lead the division the kings are in second with 69 points and then vegas with 68 Jack Eichel scoring the game-winning goal last night with five seconds left in the wildcard positions. It seems like it changes uh, pretty often. Dallas is in that top position with 67 points, and then Nashville in second with 66. The Oilers trailing by two points, Anaheim by three, Vancouver by four. Um, Vancouver and Anaheim, or excuse me, Nashville and Dallas have games in hand against all three of the teams behind them. Um, Edmonton is right there, so sure will be pretty crazy in the Western Conference. So um, just to leave you guys off with a little update of 
how poorly things are going with Major League Baseball. I know that we tend to be a little bit of a positive-leaning podcast, as bad as that sounds. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the Players Association and Major League Baseball unable to come to an agreement last week, so the lockout continues with regular season games being canceled. It doesn't appear to be any anything you know coming to a decision anytime soon or you know uh, uh not a decision a uh, resolution so to speak so that's you know frustrating obviously we've heard things from the meetings of you know things that the mlb wants the things that major league baseball players association um you know pitch clock expanded postseason um and things like that baseball officially canceled the first two series after no deal was reached at the deadline but you know it's just uh, it's frustrating because i think at the end of the day you know you need games and you know baseball is in a position where it's kind of getting bypassed by a lot of different things um so i think you know there really is there's really no positive way to spin this you know it's just like it's clear that i think Manfred is not really appeasing the players. You know, you see that players and former players are very displeased with how things are going. And it just is unfortunate because it just seems clear that he doesn't care about what's going on. And, you know, it's just baseball is at a really critical stage that I think, again, it's getting bypassed by a lot of different things. And I think, you know, it's, The word out of touch, you know, or the phrase out of touch does not describe this situation more perfectly. You know, it's just money, money, money to the owners, and that's all that matters. And really couldn't care less about putting bad teams on the field or trying to, you know, squeeze the most out of negotiations. It's just like, at the end of the day, we just wanted to see teams play and it just is kind of a microcosm for how baseball has gone the last few years that it's like people don't care as much and it just is like I don't know you would think that you know that alone would cause the two groups to be like okay we really have to get something done but you know obviously that's just not the case so you know obviously we'll keep you updated as you know things start to to happen hopefully things change in the near future and when it does eric bellier will be on the pod on guest friday it's uh it's tough not having him on because we usually have him on around this time but as soon as something gets gets changed he'll be on guest friday we'll might have to do an impromptu guest friday might have to do a guest uh thursday whatever day um it happens so i think that does it that's going to do it for me this week obviously I uh, look forward to Guest Friday later this week in which we'll be talking Patriots with a mystery guest. Looking forward to announcing that later this week. Um, but as always, you can listen to the podcast on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can, you know, let me know how how you enjoy the show. You know, even if it's just to, to tell me that you really like listening, I do appreciate that um, on any social media um, or, you know, if you feel like messaging the podcast on social media, feel free to, to, to let, let me know. Cause I really appreciate the, uh, the, the, not the shout outs, but 
really appreciate the uh, people that listen because this is uh, really fun for me. I really enjoy doing this and uh, being able to have people listen. So, yeah, you know, follow our socials, do all that, all that fun stuff, and uh, everyone enjoy the rest of your Monday. It's uh, unseasonably warm out there, so try to enjoy it as it lasts because who knows, we'll probably get snow in like two weeks, so uh, enjoy it while it lasts. So uh, everyone have a good rest of your day, and we will talk to you later this week.